Imagine you gave a dollar a day to a worthy cause, but you did it along with thousands of Jewish people around the globe, and you all donated to one cause every single day. Thousands of your $1 bills pulled together towards one cause daily. What's the impact of your dollar then? You don't have to imagine it. You can and should do it by joining Daily Giving today. Head over to dailygiving.org and become a daily giver today. That's dailygiving.org. Jewish Money Matters, episode 347, Reducing Stress and Anxiety Around Money with Financial Therapist Simi Mandelbaum. You're listening to Jewish Money Matters, the podcast where Jewish wisdom and spirituality meet your money and your business. Money is a means to serve God in this world with joy, to build a life that leaves an imprint way beyond our time in this world. I want you to discover the secrets to Jewish wealth to gain practical and spiritual tools to break free from the shackles of financial worry, to design the joyful, rich life that your soul desires. Welcome to Jewish Money Matters. I'm Yael Trush, and I'm so glad you're here. Being a single mom and really having it down pat, I was a personal trainer. I knew how to do life. I knew how to manage money. And then suddenly I get into this wonderful relationship with a man who has a completely different set of values on money. And I'm like, whoa, it's off. It doesn't work. And I found myself in a position that I didn't recognize myself. Like I would be constantly stressed out, constantly upset at him. We'd be in the car and we'd be driving and he'd say, hey, can I stop at the rest stop and pick up some grapes? And he'd like jump out of the car and I'm thinking, who picks up pre-washed grapes for $3.50 in a little container? You know, you can buy a whole thing. And so there was a lot of stress for me. And I was like, this is not me. And I, and I don't want to throw something that's really good out there because of something I'm feeling. You're listening to Jewish Money Matters. I'm Yael Trush, your host. Welcome to the show. Today, I'm in conversation with financial therapist, Simi Mandelbaum. Simi is the founder and CEO of Prosper Financial Wellness, a center dedicated to reducing the stress and anxiety people feel around money. Incepted in 2019, Simi has helped hundreds of clients reduce debt, increase income, and most importantly, live their money lives true to their goals and values. What is the difference between those two goals and values? How do we identify our values? And why is it so important to do so? Becoming curious about your own mindset around money as well as your spouse's, the difference between collaboration and compromise, the important difference between a financial therapist and a financial planner, and what makes you a good candidate to work with one over the other. Simi's own experiences with money and the impetus for her career in financial therapy and much more in this candid conversation with Simi Mandelbaum. Welcome to Jewish Money Matters. It's so fun to have you on the show. Thank you for having me here. I can't believe we're finally meeting. I know. Like, what took us so long? Seriously, I've been wanting to do this forever. I bumped into you on LinkedIn. I'm like, okay, a girl off to my own heart. Like, who is this lady? (laughs) So this is going to be great. I see this woman who's presenting and she's flawless and she's fluid and she's... I'm like, oh, wow, she's a star. So thank you so much for recognizing my ability and having me on here. My absolute pleasure. You're a financial therapist. You're the founder and CEO of Prosper Financial Wellness, um, where you dedicate your career to helping people reduce stress and anxiety around money. Uh, yes, we want that. And we want to talk about that. But let's start, Simi, with the field of financial therapy. I mean, it's not the typical career, you know, that's not a description that the career counselor comes to you, you know, with a list of different options. How did you arrive at this career? And was there a personal impetus uh, behind this choice? Because let's be honest, not not all of us want to talk about our relationship with money constantly, but you do that for a living. So what led you here? Yeah. And first of all, thank you so much for that segue of how financial therapy came to be. And you're right. Financial therapy isn't on the career counselor because it actually is utilizing two completely different sides of your brain. Mm. Finances, intuition and empathy and all that stuff is really a little unique in this in this field. And what my impetus for this was being married a second time and being a single mom and really having it down pat. I was a personal trainer. I, I knew how to do life. I knew how to manage money. And then suddenly I get into this wonderful relationship with a man who has a completely different set of values on money. And I'm like, whoa, it's off. It doesn't work. And I found myself in a position that I didn't recognize myself. Like I would be constantly stressed out, constantly upset at him. 
we'd be in a car and we'd be driving and he'd say, hey, can I stop at the rest stop and pick up some grapes? And he'd like jump out of the car and I'm thinking, who picks up free washed grapes for $3.50 in a little container? You know, you can buy a whole thing. And so there was a lot of stress for me. And I was like, this is not me. Uh, and I and I don't want to throw something that's really good out there because of something I'm feeling. And I started studying. I went back to school to study about behavior and, and psychology and finances. And that's how I came to financial therapy. So this is really something personal for me. Very much so. I was not, I did not know this side of your story and I, I'm, I'm blown away. I, I love how a personal experience can really lead a person into, you identified a personal challenge and you took care of it and it led you in this beautiful career path. Now, did you end up marrying this man? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Did I not say that he's the husband of mine now? And that's what I didn't want to throw out. This wonderful relationship, but this money thing just kept on coming in our faces. And mm-hmm. I was like, this is not going to be good for our relationship. And so that's when I went back to study it. And I saw how important it is and how misunderstood money is in our, in, in just in the world, mm-hmm. our understanding of it, our in perspective of relationships. So I really appreciate that I got that opportunity to go back and learn it. So interesting. Did you go with him also to financial therapy or just embarked in this journey on your own and kind of like shared your findings with him? My belief in life is we can only change ourselves. So when I discovered this was my thought and my problem, I decided I need to take care of it. But of course, we know that when we take care of something, it bleeds into the rest of the relationship. 100%. So this was mine. And of course, uh, we did so many activities together to learn and identify our different money mindsets and different money psychologies and styles so that we could bridge the gap and figure out how to do life in some sort of combination. So yeah. Sounds very familiar. We've done the same. <laughs> we have done the same. Now, Simi, speaking about, so, so you, you then took on this as a personal learning just to improve yourself and then decided to embark this head on into a career. When people hear of financial therapy, there's also the term, you know, you're certified financial therapies. There's also st- certified financial planners. Maybe let's help the audience clarify those two terms because sometimes they're very blurry. They're very confusing. What is the difference? Can you help the audience differentiate? There are many different terms when it comes to finances. And there's a financial coach, a financial counselor, a financial therapist, a financial advisor, a financial planner. And I could continue. So, yes, I'm sure your audience has like a boatload of the word financial with something after it and have no idea what it stands for. Right. So financial coaching is when you're working on goal setting and you're working forward thinking. That's something, again, I work with. I'm a Masila financial coach. We work with that. Financial counseling is dealing with debt, lower income people, knowing what resources are available for them. Um, the degree I have as an AFCPE, an account, an accredited financial counselor comes from there. My degree actually comes and is started through the army. So for mm. the people and the veterans, I deal with veterans and stuff that work with as an accountant, as the financial counselor, as a financial therapist, that is usually someone who's dealing with some, some traumas or some uh, stresses related to money. Mm-hmm. Financial advisor is someone that's supporting your money and is able to tell you where to put it. So we're the step before the financial advisor. We're the step before a financial planner. We don't tell you where to put your money. We help you figure out how much you could put somewhere so that you feel comfortable by the time you get to a financial advisor or financial mm-hmm. planner. Mm-hmm. Okay, Simi, for those listening in the audience, um, since this can be a little bit blurry still because of, because again, like you identified before, the terms are confusing. We hear them. It, you explained it beautifully, but let's, let help, let's, let's help people kind of like understand where do they fall, right? If we could profile the ideal candidate sort of, you know, how, how do you, how do you know whether you need a financial therapist over a financial planner? What would make you a better candidate for one over the other? Great question. Financial therapy is used when you when you feel friction or unhappiness with your money. Mm. You're not certain you maybe have you may be in a relationship and you have a different value or you see money differently and there's stress about it. Or you're working, you're earning a lot of money, but you just are not happy. You're just not satisfied with what your money is doing for you. So it's not that you want to know what to do with your money, but just not feeling comfortable with your money. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. in, in Prosper, we actually combine spreadsheets and the behavior to actually help facilitate a healthy financial relationship. But as a financial therapist standalone, many financial therapists never open a spreadsheet because they're just going to talk to you about your feelings towards money. So at Prosper, we actually marry them. Yes, I, and it is important to marry them. But I think it's a, it's a very good distinction that you made, um, especially when you said we're the step before, meaning, you know, a lot of people think they just need to go to a planner and, and, and where do I invest my money? But if they haven't addressed their relationship with money, it's not going to go very smooth because the financial planner is not going to address that. It's not only that they won't address it or they won't recognize it. Very often there's a step before where you're not certain that you want to jump in because you're not really certain what that you took everything into account. Mm -hmm. And so it sort of limits you from that feeling like, oh, I feel comfortable putting it in here. And you also very often people that are in the financial advising industry or financial planning industry, they may be receiving assets under management, like a percentage Mm -hmm. of money you're giving them. So you're thinking, well, they just want to make money off of me. I don't really know if I could put this much money in. How do I know? Right. So when you're coming to us, we're 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 going to make the same amount of money, whether you're a billionaire or you're struggling. We make the same fee. Right. So you feel more comfortable knowing what money you have to invest before you go there. Yeah. Yeah. And you gain that clarity of, you know, where do I stand? What do I actually have so that you then can decide what's what would be the next step? Um, beautiful. Now. You say on your website that your specialty is helping families and individuals thrive while they're jug- they juggle the high cost of living. Let's discuss that a little bit more. I think in much of the Jewish world, certainly in the more observant Jewish world, the cost of living is high. What are some of the things, Simi, that we could do better so that we can thrive this baptism? Despite the fact that the sticker price for much of what we value is high, what could we be doing better? It's so interesting that you asked me this questions on the heel of a phone call I received right before getting on here. Tell us. The person said to me, you know, I just want to thank you for helping me. And and I want to um, take a step back to telling you that there's something called financial stability and there's something called financial health. And the way we see it, is that financial stability is the ability to pay for your bills and manage your money. Financial health is the way you feel about money. And our goal here is to have you feel really good about your money because it's Mm -hmm. not about how much you have, but how you feel about money that makes the difference in your life. Right. And this person called me and said, I just want to thank you for helping me with this whole financial health thing because my husband and I just sat down, we looked at our numbers and we were like, oh my gosh, this is insane. And we started dividing, like you taught us, where our values are. And we noticed that our education and our housing is really high. And those are our values. We really value a place that we want to live in. We really value what we want to give to our kids. And even though nothing changed, we were like, wow, yeah, like this is our value. So nothing shifted, but it made us realize that we're really using all our money to our values. So thank you for that. Music to my ears. (laughs) How many times have I said it? And it's really, I was going to ask you this particular question. And again, this is why you and I are so in sync, right? It's so, so important for people to get in touch with those values. Even before we talk about goals, right? We have to know what we value. Um, I guess maybe I should ask you, how often does this come up? Because people do resist that process. I have to say, like very often people say, well, just, just can you build me a budget or can you, right? They want to get into the numbers, even with their spouses. They want to get into the numbers conversation first. And it's like, no, 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 we need to take a bunch of steps back, right? Let's go back. Let's think about values first. Let's think about what we want our money to be supporting, et cetera. But anyway, talk to that a little bit. Oh my goodness. I love this topic because we live in a world of human doings and not human beings, right? And so the stress in our, specifically our Western world is what do you do? How do you do it? Can you do it better? And it's all about doing. And if you think about goals, it's all about achievement to do, to achieve. We're human beings. We have values. Our values is what makes us feel good. Right. So we can have an awesome goal. Our goal is to earn a million dollars, but we could get there and be absolutely miserable because it was never in align with our value. Correct. So the way I love to teach this is 
to explain that a value is like a weed. It's more like flexible because mm -hmm. we think, oh, our values, those are our principles. Those are the things we are a mobile. No, 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 no. Values are something that are constantly going to be visited according mm -hmm. to our experiences, our exposure. As we're growing up, we get to assess and say, hey, you know, I valued a clean house my whole life. I really did. And then I had, I was a single mom of five and recognized that if I valued a clean house, I would have miserable children. Oh, I yeah. allowed that I had to recognize, hey, you know what? What's more important my value is to bring up healthy children. And so when the first day I got married and my husband woke up and called the cops because he never saw such a mess in his life. So th my value had shifted, but he, his value hadn't shifted for whatever his growth was, right? Mm -hmm. So those are the way we can see that values are movable, tangible, that makes us feel good. If a value is not working for you, it's no, it's something that needs to be reassessed. Mm -hmm. A goal is something that we're striving to achieve to help that value work. And very often, because we're in this world, we're setting goals without checking into our values. So how do you know what a value is? A value is, is in the simplest form, is what brings you joy. Right. What makes you happy? What puts a smile on your face? And without it, the inverse, without it, I really, I just, I'm just not, doesn't not feel me. I'm not me. Yeah. And and once you could tap into that, now let's start matching our money to our value. Yep. Exactly. Sounds very familiar. And I want to go back to something at um when we're talking about financial planners, I it, I forgot to tell you this, but you reminded me that um the first I think my initiation into exploring this was a meeting I had with a financial planner where she asked me And I thank her for that. She said, yeah, L, she was a planner. She wasn't a therapist. She wasn't a cat. She said, yeah, L, how well do you and your husband talk about money? And it was like this eye-opening conversation that really led me into this exploration. Like, oh, conversations around money, like they're, they're like a thing. <laughs> and obviously we've come a very, very long way, but, um, But it's interesting that we had, I, I had to much like you kind of explore this to, to really reckon with a lot of my own relationship with money and kind of understand both our relationship with money and grow together. And, you know, and we had to have these conversations and we still do. What are the values, right? Are these goals really advancing our values? Like these are constant conversations whenever, you know, not every time we have our money date, but they happen very, very often. And, and I, I love that you identified this, the values piece as what brings you joy, right? Like what it's, it's, it's this, it's what lights you up. And we, like you said, without it, you're, you're miserable. You're not you. And some people are not even aware of that, like miserable, not you bit. Right. It's just that they're not comfortable and they're not knowing what that discomfort is and they're filling it with other things. Right. Right. And they're chasing this goal. They're chasing this wonderful goal that makes them absolutely miserable. Right. And we're putting money and other things that leave us constantly empty. Right. And kind of seeking for more. But it's because we haven't taken the, the very, it, it's the harder, it's, it's the harder step, but it's the most crucial step. And so meeting a client where they're at, they're usually coming in for a goal or coming in to right. reduce their expensive, increase their savings. So we want to meet them where they're at, but then we want to take a step back and check in with their values because sometimes their, 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 their values are not aligned between the spouses. Oh, exactly. his value is to have a beautiful home and her value is to spend more time and it's, it's butting at each other. So how mm -hmm. do we align that and how do mm -hmm. we get that to work for both of them? Yeah. And so those are the type of things we'll deal with in, in sessions. People ask that often. How, how, how do, how do I, what happens when they, they clash? Mm -hmm. And so with everything in life and, and we talk about money mindsets here all the time, right? You have a certain money mindset. The first part is recognizing that it's your software. Mm -hmm. I, and for all of us, we believe that our software is the correct <laughs> software that runs. Is what do you mean? Of course. That's what's supposed to be. So if you can recognize that you can have computer softwares that are different computers and working on different softwares and getting to the same program, now you can take a step back and say, okay, his is not wrong. So let me just stop for a moment and, and see, is there anything I can understand from that or, or see how that works? Just I'm curious how that works. Mm -hmm. And just having that curiosity takes the edge off of minds, right? or you're wrong and maybe allowing that space to see something new. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And once you can see where that came from or what it works towards, you may be able to have just a softer approach with your spouse about it. Yeah. So grapes, for example, now when he comes home with grapes, I feel the initial instinct is like, I'm a security mindset. Hi, how are you? I don't need it. I'm cool. Or when he starts the heater in the car, I mean, that was a biggie for us. Like he would buy me this beautiful gift that you could have keys that you start the heater inside the house before you get out. So your car is warm. I'm like, why would anyone do such a ridiculous <laughs> thing? So frivolous. I'm much better than that. Am I? Is that so important to stand on so that my spouse shouldn't feel loved and appreciated that I value what he's mm-hmm. offering me? Not yeah. important anymore. I love it now. Right. 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 And that that's the key. When we when we start seeing what that software is, we now we again, we're not in the defensive, right? We understand we build that empathy. Like now you start appreciating and, and that's what, that's how we can merge them both. And people think they're not there. It's impossible to do. It is very possible to do, but we have to be open to seeing where the person is coming from, asking those questions is, and being curious. It was a very important word that you use being curious what that might be like, right? What that experience they had in childhood might have been like that made them like this, right? And then you understand because by the way, you have your own too. Like, you know, yours are not perfect. And I always say it's the three C's that get you there. So the first one is the curiosity. Mm-hmm. The second one people believe is called, you tell me, could you tell me? When you want to compromise, right? Right. Compromise. But ultimately, I think it's always a third C, which is collaboration. Mm. Because think of it like this. A compromise is, I want the orange and you want the orange. So we'll cut this orange in half. You get half and I get half. But I only need the rind for a recipe and you need the inside for a juice. So what did we accomplish? Right. If we would have collaborated, we could have just gotten what we both wanted. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. And, and by the way, this curiosity and collaboration all hinges on another C, which is communication. It can't happen without that. Right. (laughs) That right. Yeah. And knowing how. mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Right which is an art in and of itself, but we have to practice it. We have to do it and it's worth it. I think, I think that's what sometimes we, 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 we think we don't realize how worth it it is, but it is very worth it, very much worth it for the relationship. Um, I think that's a piece that's often overlooked that the, the closeness that you can achieve, there we go. Another C that we can achieve as a couple. If we engage in this process of communication to get to that curiosity and that collaboration it is so beautiful, like, and people maybe don't realize how much closer we can come um, by embarking in, in a process that might be challenging, but very much worthwhile. The only thing I want to say about communication is people feel that communication is about talking. Hmm. And I know myself very often when I talk, it's not really what I'm feeling, hmm. which means if I'm feeling scared, I'm angry. I'm talking mean. I'm nasty. So if you listen to my words, you would have a totally different appreciation of who I am than if you listen to the feeling that I'm really have behind me. Mm-hmm. And so when I want to say about communication with spouses, stop listening to all the words. Listen to the feeling. What's yeah. the feeling that's going on behind there? Is it fear? Is it is it excitement? What is it coming from? Because the words are just the intellect. It's not the subconscious of what was going on for us. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's also understanding their experiences because we all had different experiences with money. Like your ex- your reaction to the grapes is based on maybe the home you grew up with, maybe your experience in your first marriage, whatever it is. But this is what made you, you know, and and he didn't have your husband not didn't have those experiences. So how could he know that you're reacting like that? Not to spite him, not to be nasty or whatever it is. Right. It's just because that was part of your experience and you're welcome to change it, but we, we have to recognize it first. More than that. I was losing respect for a man that I thought I valued. Yeah. What was I losing respect for? And so recognizing, like you said, that his experiences were so different. Right. And my experiences were so different. You know, I remember clearly in our house, tissues was a big commodity. Like there were specific tissues for the bathroom and specific tissues for your nose. Mm. And you never were allowed to get Kleenex in the bathroom. It just was like, why would anyone spend a dollar, whatever it was at that point? 
and we had the less expensive tissues in the bathroom. And it constantly irked me. And I would tell my father the color of the of the box didn't match the bathroom, and I wanted it softer. And I would have a constant battle to the point where I actually called in, and I was a research. I was I was sent tissues that had no labels, and I was one of the researchers that would constantly test out tissues because I wanted them wet better tissues. So <laughs> tissues was a big thing for me. I get married, and I'm on in this nice little you know budget that's a lot smaller, and I'm like, oh, I now get why we have special tissues in different places, right? And as life got easier, the way I knew if I was successful was if there were Kleenex tissues in my bathroom. Mm -hmm. And that was like a given. My daughter gets married and she calls me. She goes, could you imagine my husband has no idea what a nosy tissue is? Who doesn't know what a tissue is? And I'm like, honey, it's only our stuff. Like, that's our stuff that I brought into the house. (laughs) It's our baggage. Next generation. And my clients know this. Tissues is a big thing here. We only have Kleenex. But, you know. So we all have those experiences, what we grew up with and what seems normal. Right, 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 right. Let's talk about the, um, the balance a little bit between how, between mindset that we've just kind of addressed and, and, and management, right? How much of the work we, how much of the work that people need to do is mindset piece and how much is the management, the more technical part? of really looking at the numbers and getting organized and establishing systems. I, I really feel that it's a marriage component. Like it does, it just works cohesively because we can do one, but we have no idea what's really happening on the other. So the numbers are the framework, which tell me if the work we're doing in sessions is working, mm-hmm. right? So if we're working towards a certain goal, the numbers will tell me if they're going towards that, but it's not really the, the, it's not the bulk of the work. It just mm-hmm. has to be, it's the mundane. Mm-hmm. So I think they really go hand in hand. There's a, there's an element of both that need to work together. Yeah. And, 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 and even in our everyday life, right? As you manage your money with your spouse, hopefully if you're married or even by yourself, we can't ignore either. I think we have to do the, the technical part, right? And look at our numbers and plan based on our numbers and so on and so forth, but not ignore these other things like our feelings around these decisions. Where is that coming from? Is this coming from a place of value? Our, our, you know, our communication with our spouse around those decisions, et cetera. And I feel like a lot of people don't want to look at those numbers because of those feelings. Exactly. Those feelings ain't comfortable feelings. Right. And money isn't a, like you said before, your financial planner spoke to you and you never thought about communications about money. Money just isn't a topic we normally talk about. Right, right. So right. looking at the numbers means we may have to have a conversation about something we're not comfortable about. Why do that? Right. And I always like to say how when we look at those numbers, it's that we get an opportunity to see that it may not be as bad. Mm-hmm. I once heard a really good example of if you go on top of a roof, right? You get to the edge of the roof. You look, you, if there's no gate, you won't look down. You're just like, okay, let me stay here. But if you go to the, if there's a gate, you can stand on the edge. You can look down. You can stand at the tippy top and look, put your head over because it's that fence that's there. And that's what looking at those numbers are. It's the fence. It allows us to look down about what we want from our money to do for our money to do for us. Yeah. 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 It, we have a, there's a lot of fear looking at numbers, but I, as I, I agree with you, and I think it's also very empowering because what, like you said, very often they're not as bad as you think they are, but let's say even if they were now, at least you're operating, you're going to make a decision from a clear place. It's a very empowering feeling to be able to know where am I standing right at this moment that now I can make a decision. Very often we're just in a fog, so we can't really move forward intentionally we move forward no matter what but it has no intention because we don't know our numbers i love that word yeah intentionally our goal is to help you live intentionally and so often people when they look at their numbers like oh my goodness i i'm I'm due a bonus or i'm due a raise but now i know exactly what i need Mm -hmm. and so they have their feeling of getting that money or achievement or wanting something now has a reason it makes sense they know where they're headed Mm-hmm. It feels so good to have that clarity yeah. about what is going on. Yes, the numbers bring clarity. I always say that. Yes. Uh, our fifth, what are we up to? Our fifth, our sixth. We're in the seat today, big time. <laughs> Even though I'm the P girl because I'm prosper. P, 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 pro, prosper, prosperous, pictures, you know. So we, we got something here with the C's. <laughs> <laughs>
Do you know what's my favorite email of the day? The one I receive from Daily Giving every morning. I get to see a new updated donation amount and the organization receiving the donation that day. True, I may have only contributed $1, but the impact of my dollar when pooled with that of thousands of daily givers is massive. I love knowing that every single day I'm giving, no matter how busy my life gets, I know every day I'm fulfilling the mitzvah of tzedakah because I signed up to daily giving and so should you. Don't wait. Head over to dailygiving.org and become a daily giver today. a little bit on Judaism a little bit, being that we're two observant Jewish women here having this conversation and in this field. When we talk about the mindset piece, Simi, what would you say, is Judaism a prescription here? How can Jewish wisdom help us change our mindset, our relationship with money? I feel that the Jewish, our history, Jewish Mm -hmm. exile, we've always been in exile. There's a very strong correlation to the fact of our survivor mentality having an impact in the way we manage and see money. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I really do see this very, and we can see this in different cultures. When you're out there working with different cultures, you see the difference between a survivor mentality and a different mentality. Uh, we have a lot more entrepreneurs in our, in our Jewish culture than mm-hmm. most cultures. We have a lot more um, risk takers because okay. We've been starters. We've always been starters. Starters, yes. starters. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. I love that. I, I love that. Yeah. I definitely see that in our Jewish, the fact that we've had that background. Yeah. Yeah. Sort of that immigrant experience, right? Yeah. You find in other cultures with, with similar experience, but yeah, there's definitely a lot, a, a lot of that, that we can see and, and, and kind of the having the wherewithal, um, possibly because we know we, we're not standing on our own two feet, but we're standing, you know, with God, you know? And there is no, and no matter how many, most of my education is not in the Jewish component or Jewish understanding. And there's so much where we're constantly assessing how to be able to understand the future or how to be able to tell the past. And, and there's none of that faith understanding that sometimes life's going to bring you what you have no control over and you're gonna work with that because we don't control the world right. we like to feel in control as human beings we love to feel in that seventh c control but we ultimately we don't right. and if the more we recognize that we don't and we are just able to do the best we can the better financial health we'll have the less anxiety that we'll have mm-hmm. the less depression we'll have because it's not ours it's right. not, it feels like ours, but it's really not. Right, right. And some might listen to this and say, well, then why should I do it? What well, if I can control it, right? Why should I engage in this process? And we always know, and Sharbi Tachan always says this, how we have to do ours. So we have to put in how much to put in. That's for everyone else. And that's for your LOR, your local rabbi to ask how much your Heshtadlis is. But we all have to give what's natural right. to Heshtadlis and then we are the vessel, the Kali that God can give us. One hundred percent. Yeah, I always say because Hashem put you in this natural world and he gave you one of the resources he gave you is called money. And just like he gave you a body that you have to take care of, he gave you money to take care of it. You can't just ignore it. You can't just ignore your body. You can't just miss your checkups. You know, you have to do certain things. Does Is that going to keep you healthy? No, God keeps you healthy, but you still have to do it, right? Is, is it going to make you wealthy? No, God makes you wealthy, but you still have to do it. You still have to take care of your money, right? And I say with clients, if I give them the information, there's only a 10% chance that they're actually going to do anything with that. So I need to really hear about what's going on for them to have them start questioning their own way of thinking and then being able to poke holes and say, gosh, like I never saw that I thought like that. That sounds really ridiculous now that I'm saying that out loud. And then I know I did. I hit the jackpot. Then I know I got where I need to. When they start questioning their own beliefs about where, nah, I don't need to put any money. We we don't have to worry about anything. Okay, tell me more. Oh, 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 so it's a nice experience of seeing that dynamic. 
Yes. And I love that you said that because that tells me that this is actually very important. You said, well, now I know I'm doing my job right because this is where we want to leave them. We want to make sure that as they kind of wean out of the process with us, as they're engaging with their relationship, they can still ask the question. They can poke holes at their own thinking. That's part of the process. Self-coaching. Right, 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 right. So Simi, I'd love to dig deep a little bit deeper onto your own relationship with money. You gave us a few insights here that were very juicy. Um, the tissues I also was not expecting. So let's go back to, um, childhood, young adulthood. What were some of the lessons that you learned early on in life, perhaps from your home of origin that either served you? or perhaps hurt you in adulthood. <laughs> Tissues were a great example, but let's see. Yeah, I always thought money, in, in my parents were both educators, so money was always tight when I grew up. And I think, and I have actually been doing a study to see the oldest and youngest in families, their experience with money in the same family is vastly different. I'm the oldest, so my parents were struggling when I was a young girl. Very different than my youngest sibling. And it was held of like, if, if it was very necessary, right? Those tissues were, and I, I sort of attached that to myself. I knew I liked her nicer things, but I was very, you know, um, careful. And from a young age, I think it was about eighth grade. I remember having envelopes. I went on a trip with my friends and I had envelopes and I wrote down all the receipts inside and on the back before anyone knew envelope system for anything existed. I was writing it. It went to nobody. But it was my way of seeing everything. And I'm not, a good, I'm not even a good math person, mm-hmm. but I knew my money. I knew my money inside out. Yeah. And so I felt like I, pr- I pretty much knew money. And that's why this this was such a like heavy, cold water when I got remarried and, and felt like I was losing respect over this ridiculous thing called money. Because like, I know money. I'm the right way. I've got this down. Right. Because you learn to be responsible and measure every dollar. I know where everything is going. And then you see somebody who maybe perhaps he, he he does measure, but not, not in the way that you do. You know, he, we're not saying the person was reckless, but maybe they weren't as measured and careful as you. So it shocked you. Or or even that I had a, a very strong sense of ownership to be uncomfortable. Like it was, if I was uncomfortable, I was a good girl. Like I didn't need to have, right. have as much cleaning help. I, if I scrubbed, I was a better person than if I hired someone. Or if I worked harder, uh, if I needed best spreads, I knew exactly what type of job to get to make it work. It would never be like, oh, I'll buy it and figure it out. So I had a really clear system in my head that I really, really down to my core believed that was my moral comp, my value system. It was all there set up in a nice box. Mm. Then this came in. And it jolted me into a totally different experience. Mm. So, um, uh, and seeing it from a different light and seeing myself and I can't even ever say that I'm done because I think it's always when something's a struggle for you or something's your innate, natural, my scarcity or my security mindset. Like if I don't spend the money that I put away, yay, I could hide it and save it. But I recognize now that I'll, I'll put away some, but I got to enjoy life with the other because otherwise, yeah. what's it about? But learning that was hard for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We it, it's a learned experience, absolutely. Um, I'm I'm glad I'm glad that you've learned it. <laughs> learning, learning. It's never ed. It's an ing. Learning, active. Yes, I had I had the opposite experience. I had to. Uh, my learning experience is to save. <laughs> learning experience is to save. Right. Well, that's why I said I always say now I'm learning how to enjoy. No, but my, my, my comfort level. Yes. My comfort level is in enjoyment, right? (laughs) In the now, in the here and now. Um, any, any financial failures, so to speak, any things that you're like, see me, you're not doing this again. This is not happening. This is a lesson learned. Anything, a lesson learned that I would not do again. So I really use my 10, 10, 10 rule. In life. What is so your 10, 10, 10 rule? Uh, it's 10 hours, 10 days, 10 years. So how will I feel in 10 hours if I, even in parenting, like if I said this to my kid in 10 days and 10 years, will it have served me well? And the same with my money. So when I'm having like a stress, like, will I feel good in 10 hours? Okay, I might. But in 10 days, uh, in 10 years, I'll be like, why did I do that? That was ridiculous. Like I should not have st- stood my st- steadfast on that. And that really helps me align myself 
when I'm insecure or uncertain about something that's going on. I love that. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to start incorporating, applying this in my life. 10 hours, 10 days, 10 years. I really like that. Yeah. Thank you. I think I would have made better choices. <laughs> any habits? As, this is this is actually a good practice, right? But any any habits that you practice regularly that you think have a positive impact on, on your financial life? Well, I, I, you know, you said before that you have your money dates, and I honestly, I don't even. I used to call it money dates with my clients, and then I heard that they associated it with like we're going to talk about money. So I like to pivot it maybe to a value date. Like if I had all the money in the world, what would it look like? What would we do with it? What's the difference? And so we're coming from it from just like theoretical. So then when we talk practically, we still know where our theory is bubbling in the back of our heads. It's a little closer to the front of our heads and we can make different decisions because very often when you get in that room, even if the lights are closed, if you're going to start talking about money, your body tenses up and you just feel Mm -hmm. uptight already. Mm-hmm. But talking about it, my neck is getting wet already. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. It's funny because sometimes with my husband and I, it's like if we feel like we have to take, we take a pause, and we're like, okay, you're, you're like, you're, you're feeling stressed, like, right? And it's okay. It's okay to recognize. It's, 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 it's part of the process. That doesn't mean we're going to disengage from the process. You know, the process is important also. But I like, I love that value day. So you do practice those in your own. Yeah, but I do want to point out. Now, what you mentioned before is that when you feel that stress and not to disengage, when we talk about money and mind, we want to recognize how the brain works. Yeah. How we ha- we're connected to a cerebellum. We're connected to our, our emotional component and then the logical, the prefrontal cortex, right? The limbic system. And our limbic system, our emotions will always win logic. That's why money is 90% emotional and only 10% yes. logical. So whoever tells you that if you make a budget, you'll stick to it is the same person tells you if you put calories on the diet, you'll be thin. doesn't work. It has to work with you as a human being, with your emotional component. So if you're triggered in a conversation, you need to recognize your logic may not kick in. Mm-hmm. And if your emotions kicking in, it may not be the best time to have a good conversation. A hundred percent. And it's okay to say, we're going to have to resume this money date next mm-hmm. week. Right. It's yeah. OK to take a pause. A hundred percent. But sometimes a mini pause where we deviate and talk about what's triggering at this moment is also helpful if, if we're already at that stage. But I think in the initial stages, very often it'll happen for people that you'll recognize there's a trigger. OK, so there's a trigger. Let's just let's just take a pause. You know, I, I think I think with time, this gets much easier because, again, we've built that empathy and understanding um, and that comfort level with talking, talking about these things. See me, I, I want to address since a little bit the, men, the the women in the audience, um, and perhaps get your your advice for women. Women, not only in the more observant Jewish world, but even in the secular world by and large, are we're behind men in terms of financial literacy, but also in terms of financial confidence. There, there's still that deep rooted belief that for many women that this is a men's department, money is men's department, and this can really impact our financial wellness, our relationships. What advice can we give the women in the audience, whether they be married or single? So first of all, I've done statistical research to figure out if women are really lacking in their capability of money. Since I'm not a math person and I had imposter syndrome in this business big time, I'm like, why would anyone listen to a woman? She probably doesn't know money. How can I even talk about money? And so I did, I kept on researching and I, what I found is that our confidence is less, but our capability is not a hundred percent. And so getting, getting knowledge, getting knowledge is getting power or is getting confidence. Sometimes I always call her Ida the imposter. She sits on my head. She's just there. She just tells me I'm not good enough. But she's really only Ida and I don't have to listen to her. I don't have to choose to listen to her. So if it's, if it's for you guys out there that are, um, let's name her, you, um, and we're on our like, like eighth, ninth C word, by the way. I'm just letting you know. Um, if we can name her like Kara, the confidence person or whoever she is, like maybe have a conversation with her and say, Kara, like maybe you want to sit in the corner a bit while I start working on my finances. Cause I'm really not bad at this. I just, mm-hmm. Maybe gaining some information will allow you to take a course, look online, read a book, let trust yourself. 
Yeah. You trust yourself in so many bigger things, taking care of kids, making decisions on a daily basis, taking care of life, what career you're going into, what you're going to do next. There are so many decisions we have to make on an everyday basis. Don't let this stand in your way. I love that. Yes. Trust yourself. Yes, you can do that. By the way, this has been also proven as investors. Women tend to be better investors for many qualities that we have, like, you know, more, more risk averse, more long-term thinking, more in touch with our values. There's so many things that make us better investors. So just another, another thing to mention to give women the, the oomph to go on and gain a little bit of the, the confidence and, and do it because the competence is there. It's definitely there. <laughs> <laughs> she's counting people and she's not the numbers person. Yes, indeed, we are in our 10th C word. <laughs> I don't know where it came from. It wasn't intentional. It just it it was just not. Maybe we need to write a booklet together or something. <laughs> we need to put something together out there in the world. All right. So Simi, every I like to wrap up every episode with what I call Jewish Money Matters fill in the blanks. And this is the part of the show where I give you an open-ended say- statement and you finish it with the first thing that comes to mind. All right? Yeah. Okay. okay. So the first one is when I give my sir or tzedakah, I like to give to people that I personally know that are struggling. Hmm. Yes. I'd love to make more money because I would love to have an arm in my business that I can help all income brackets. Hmm. I love that. Yes, yes, yes. Amen to that. All right. Something I wish I'd learn about money growing up is eighth wonder the world compound interest. Oh my goodness. Yes. So see, you were taught to be a saver. This is important for us to address. Just because you learn to be a saver does not mean you learn to be an investor. Yes. Yes. And I wish I knew that early on. All my kids are now investors, but yes, we didn't have that. Yeah. Yes, 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 yes. Um, Money, spiritual or physical? Oh, Hmm, it's so. physical that helps us with our spirituality. So whether mm-hmm. it's spiritual suicide or spiritual growth, but it's going to help us somewhere. <laughs> Yes. Something I splurge on unapologetically. (laughs) Every Rosh Chodesh, I get myself something. I don't mean a big thing. That is so beautiful. You know, I was thinking the other day, like, I don't, who I was having this conversation. Do we really honor Rosh Chodesh in the way we were supposed to as women, you know? And it's so beautiful. They just told me that. Thank you. You just inspired me. I actually wear a white shirt too, by the way, because we did it in school growing up. Wow. And my daughter recently that's married for three years found out that it's not a halacha. She just found out that you could wear other color shirts on her shoulders. <laughs> yeah, but it's it's just marking the day, right? Dressing yeah. a little nicer, having a nicer meal or like what would you treat yourself, for example? Uh, why it's always food, I have no idea. But it usually ends up being something food related, even right. though I'm always saying that it's not food related. It is. But sometimes it will be just a cozy pair of slippers or sometimes it will be just an extra nice latte or a a, a manic, something, but something that makes me feel like I recognize that this is a different day for me. I'm a woman. It's a a woman's holiday. So beautiful. Thank you for mentioning. Huh? It used to be cookbooks. Every holiday, every Rosh Kodesh, I got a cookbook till my entire shelf was so heavy. And now I can't even find recipes. So yeah, we eased off the cookbooks. Really? Huh? Maybe I should do cookbooks since I am definitely struggling in the kitchen lately. I'm like so bored of my cooking. All right. <laughs> Simi, say, I, we know the answer to this. Mm, Simi, saver or spender? Every single one. Ah, really? You found At a this point. Book. Who am I? Good. Very, well, nice. Very nice. Today I'm most grateful for. Huh. Today I'm most grateful for being alive, for being able to do something that I'm passionate and love to do. Yeah, beautiful. And finally, I'm Simi Mandelbaum, and I believe Jewish money matters because... Because money is often a topic that's not discussed. And you're bringing money to the table to help people gain a recognition and understanding about how they can be a better steward for money. So thank you, yeah. No, thank you. Thank you for the work that you're doing. Really incredible work. I want you to tell us where clients, where people in the audience can connect with you. Find your work, please. You can go on to our website, which is www.prosper, P-R-O-S-P-R. No E. We leave out the E for excuses. <laughs> that F-I-T, fitness. Remember, I started as a physical fitness trainer. So we keep the fit over there. You want to become fit with your money. Prosper.fit. 
guys, I do have a special little thing for your listeners. Tell us. We, talk, we talked about money mindset and learning how to communicate with your spouse. And we don't know how to communicate. We, don't, we just don't know how to make those conversations. So we right. have this little game called What is Your Enough? How much is your enough? Mm. And when you play that, you get to talk to your spouse about why that's important to you, why you want to have this and not this. And if you could talk about it in theory before it becomes an issue, you could talk about it without those emotional triggers that we talked about a second ago. So any one of your listeners that get onto our email, info at prosper.fit. So that's info, I-N-F-O at prosper.fit. Mm-hmm. And put in the subject line, Jewish Money Matters. We will send you the game called how much is your enough oh my gosh i love that i want the game i'll be the first one getting this game ladies and gentlemen i'm gonna make sure that that makes it to the show notes and i think it's a great idea i want to i want to be able to know what's my enough and have that conversation with my spouse i love that thank you thank you simi thank you and of course we can find you on linkedin we didn't mention oh, that. Yeah. that's a great place simi is one of my favorite linkedin people so thank you so much for this insightful interview this was a pleasure and now i'll have to come up to new york is that where you are new jersey no new oh. jersey <laughs> you can come up to us anyway it's a virtual life at this point isn't it it's almost it virtual but the next time you're in new york new jersey wherever it is if you're in new york i'll come meet you i will i would really really enjoy that thank you so much simi have a great day thanks to simi mandelbaum for stopping by simi can be found at prosper.fit prosper without the e as simi said we leave the e out for excuses dot Fit. You're getting financially healthy and fit. And also go drop an email to info at prosper.fit with the subject Jewish Money Matters so that you can claim your free gift, a game to identify what is your enough. I'm curious, aren't you? Claim that by emailing info at prosper.fit with the subject Jewish Money Matters. Thanks for stopping by, everyone. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review and rating on your Apple Podcast app. I will be picking a reviewer of the week and gifting them a 20-minute session with me where we can tackle your money, your business, money and your relationship, whatever is on your money mind, let's say. You do that at the Apple Podcast Review and Rating section. You also want to hit that follow button at the top right corner of the episode. It used to be called subscribe, but now it's called follow. You know, Apple keeps changing things. Either way, that's how you ensure that you never miss an episode. And of course, submit your questions for Ask Yael Friday via email, yael at yaeltrush.com, or you can DM me on any of the social platforms. Thanks again for being here. Have a great day.